Well, I want to say happy Father's Day to all of the dads out there. We're so glad you've chosen to come worship with us at CPC, and thank you for the, the work that you do as dads. Uh, sometimes you probably feel like you do a good job of it, and sometimes you feel like you do a lousy job of it, and regardless, you're welcome into God's family and to be assured that it's not something that you do by your own heroic strength, but we believe that this is something that Jesus calls you into and transforms you for, and we're just glad you're here to worship with us. And I don't know if you noticed, we have that nice motorcycle set up outside, and they tell me you can't ride it, but they wouldn't have it here if they didn't want you to ride it. So just give it a shot. Just kidding. Don't try to ride the motorcycle. It's not, it's just for decorations. It's just to sit on, take a picture. Dads, we're glad you're here with us. We are this morning going to look at a man in scripture who thought he had his life all figured out, and then he bumps up against Jesus and everything changes for him. And what he realizes is that he is not called to model a life based on his own strength and his own abilities, but based on who Jesus is and who Jesus is to him. And in the same way, as we think about fatherhood or parenting or any of the things that we do in life, we are not asked to do those things out of our own strength, but it is a thing that Jesus is doing in us. And so this morning, we're going to look at the story of Saul. Now, he is also primarily known in Scripture as Paul, so if I confuse those two words, if I go back and forth between saying Saul and Paul, just, just forgive me, it'll, it'll happen. And in the story today, his name is Saul, and the last time we saw him, he was presiding over the execution, the stoning of a young Christ follower named Stephen. And it's the last time we saw him, and then last week, Debbie Manning preached on the story of a young missionary named Philip leading an Ethiopian eunuch to follow Jesus, and then we come back to the story of Saul in Acts chapter 9. So we're in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. The text will be on the screen, but feel free to read along if you have your own Bibles with you. It says, meanwhile, so while all these things were happening, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So let's pause right there. Damascus was a town not in Judea but in Syria as the crow flies about 130 miles from Jerusalem but because of the way travel worked in those days and even today because of the terrain would be about a 2,000 mile trip to get to Syria to Damascus and there were tens of thousands of Jews living in Syria at the time and a lot of synagogues and so this was a known place that he could go and seek out other Jewish people back up in the same verse, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So let's stop right there. The thing that Saul is doing is he's acting under a law of extradition. So even though the Jewish people had been under different rules and regimes over the previous centuries, 
many of those regimes let them keep some of the, the privileges of a sovereign nation state. So one of those privileges was the right of extradition to go into other countries and to extradite ethnic Jews if they were being summoned to Jerusalem for a legal matter. So Saul is acting under a right of extradition to go and seek out Jewish people and bring them back to Jerusalem to face the courts and to end up being jailed and executed for following Jesus. So this is what Saul is doing. Now, I know it's unlikely that many of us have heard have not heard this story before. Most of us are at least on some level familiar with the story of Saul. But if you had never heard this story ever, and you're reading it up until this point, do you believe that Saul is a good guy or a bad guy? Good guy? Bad guy? Anyone else? Good guy? Bad guy? What is Saul? He seems like probably a bad guy in the story. He's going to execute followers of Jesus. But what it reminded me of was in December, I took my kids to watch a movie, The Last Jedi, the latest in the Star Wars series of films, not counting the standalone movies, but The Last Jedi, I thought was fabulous We watched it. I thought, this was maybe my favorite Star Wars movie ever. We left. We're walking out. And I turn to my oldest and I say, what'd you think? Expecting her to think, oh, it's amazing. And she goes, eh, it was okay. (laughs) Kids. I said, why? Why didn't you like it? And she said, well, it was a little confusing. It was hard to figure out who was good and who was bad. Tell me more about that, right? So what she found was... That the characters were complex. That it wasn't that they were pretending to be good or pretending to be bad. They were wrestling with what it meant to be good and to do the right thing and to be faithful. And they had major moments of conflict in their, in their own being. And they, it wasn't quite clear who was a good person and who was a bad person in the film. And she was right. There was a maturation of the characters which had not been previously seen in some Star Wars movies. But what it reminds me of is that Saul himself would not have believed he was some villainous, murderous mercenary going to kill Christians. He thought he was a good guy. He thought he was doing the right thing. He believed that he was defending God's honor and God's glory by going to faraway places and eradicating anybody who might besmirch the name of God by tying it to the name of Jesus. He thought he was a good guy in the story until he bumped up against Jesus. What I want us to see this morning is that when you bump up against Jesus, everything is up for grabs. When you bump up against Jesus, hold loosely, everything is up for grabs. And so as we walk through this text this morning, we're going to look at the ways in which God is, is shaking loose all of Saul's attachments to other things and inviting him into a different way of life. And if we pay attention to that way of life that God is inviting Saul and the early church into, it might affect the way that we live and the way that we live as a church. So let's keep going in our text in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. It says, As he, Saul, near Damascus on his journey... Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. 
I am Jesus, whom you are persecuted. Now, pause right there. The dead one? Huh. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now, go get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. You see, when we see Saul bump up against Jesus, the thing that we learn is that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. No one is beyond his reach. So in Acts so far, what we've seen is the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost and divides all the people among, gives them languages so they can speak to different people and share the gospel and that the gospel might go forth into all of the world and be shared. Now this is different. This is unexpected. They did not think that the gospel was for everyone. It was just for the Jewish people. And so all of a sudden, we see all these Gentiles, all these outsiders being spread the gospel to. And that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. Last week, we saw the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian eunuch. Both of those words would have previously disqualified that man from being in relationship with God. But through Jesus, he is not beyond God's reach. We're told that the early church was a safe place for orphans and for widows, people who had previously been ostracized and left on the margins of society have been included in God's family. And now, this week, what we see is that God's sworn enemy, Jesus' sworn enemy, Saul, even, even the worst possible offender, we think this is the worst guy ever. He's tracking down Christians. He's, he's gleefully overseeing stoning of Christians. Even he is not beyond the reach of Jesus. What is this telling us about who God desires to be a part of his family? Everybody. He's waking the early church up, waking us up to the fact that God desires to create this big extended family where everybody's welcome. Those who are like us and those who are not like us. Those who we consider our enemies And those who we consider our neighbors and best friends, they're all included. God desires to include them all, for them all to be included in his family, that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. And we get this right away because the very next thing that happens is the story shifts from Saul's perspective to a man named Ananias who's being challenged on who is included in God's family. So pick it up in verse 10. In Damascus... There was a disciple, so a follower of Jesus, named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. By the way, Straight Street, still in Damascus in Syria today. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore him. And just pause there and think, Ananias is probably going, uh, what? Excuse me, God, you want me to go and hang out and lay hands on a man who came here 
to jail me and kill me. Oh, okay, sounds good. What does he say next to him? Lord, Ananias answered, uh, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. This is not, I believe, what Ananias expected when he went for his evening prayers that day. <laughs> it's not what he expected to converse with God about. It's not what he expected to hear. The thing that the early church is learning is not just that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus, but that God is always, always doing the unexpected in their midst, that whenever they think they have God all figured out, God changes things on them. And so God steps into this story that, that Paul expected his life would be about purifying the Jewish people from all these heretics so they would preserve the holy name of God that Saul thought that he had God all figured out. And he bumps up against Jesus and God does the unexpected. Ananias thought that they were creating this safe, distinct community apart from the danger of being persecuted, that they were all the way in Syria. How could they possibly be persecuted by Jerusalem? And then he gets bumped up against by Jesus and he challenges and upends his expectations of what his life is intended to be like. And what about us? What are those things that you cling to, that I cling to, that we cling to, that we think life is about. We have life all figured out. We have our plans set. It's all about having the right answers and the right things and the right family. It's all about having the right credentials, all about power and control and security, all about safety. Speaking of safety, if, unless you were under a rock this past week, you heard about our new national hero. <laughs> I was told last night that this, was, this is a female raccoon, so I don't want to mess that up this morning. Uh, that she, she had gone up on to a, a office building in downtown St. Paul to raid a nest and got stuck, and the rescue attempt forced her to go up not down. And so as she started going up this 23-story building in downtown St. Paul, she just kept going up. Right? She just kept going, and now she made it safely. 24 hours later, I believe this started Monday night, 24 hours-ish later, she was safely at the top of the building. She's been, I was told, released into southwest Minneapolis. So she might be somewhere, <laughs> somewhere around here. I'm not even joking. I heard that on the radio. Uh, our new national hero. But if you'll allow me the comparison, <laughs> Saul goes to raid a nest of Christians and what he finds is he's in a jam. Without sight, without food, without water, he is stuck. And he cannot go back the same way he came. He must go a new direction. He must go forward. Are we okay when God upends our plans without rushing back to safety but saying, okay, God, yes, I'm with you. I will walk forward wherever you're calling me. Are we okay when God upends our expectations when we go from being a persecutor to being a chosen instrument of God, like Saul did, when we go from being doubters to being called to be faithful, are we okay taking that step? When we go from security and safety to risk and walking out on a limb with Jesus, are we okay with that? And as Paul 
or Saul is about to learn, are we okay when we go from being thinking about ourselves as powerful and in control to suffering and losing much for the name of Jesus? What does he go on to tell Saul through the vision of Ananias? Verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord... Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So God used Ananias to step into Saul's story at great risk to Ananias, right? In hindsight, we know he was fine, but imagine how nervous Ananias must have been seeking out one who was coming to seek him out to end his life. He goes and he seeks him out, and he does what God calls him to do at great risks, and then we hear what Saul's future will be, and it starts with Saul has been blind, a powerful perfect religious leader who knows everything about God lost his sight. Now, culturally, that would have been an embarrassment. It would have made him feel ashamed, like he had lost something, like he had done something to deserve losing his sight. And what we see is that it's a reminder to us that God is not interested in Saul's strength, in his power, in his credentials, in his authority, that God is interested in Saul's weakness. God is interested in Saul's weakness and that Saul's weakness becomes his strength. Saul's weakness becomes his strength. In fact, what we see over the course of his future as we read the letters that he writes, when he, as he becomes Paul, as he becomes a leader of the church, that he regularly lists For the Christ followers, his brokenness and his suffering and his pain and his weakness. He owns his weakness. He was a chief religious leader who goes on to say, I am the chief of sinners. And what we learn is that God is way more interested in Saul's weakness because he's not interested in making much of Saul. He's interested in Saul making much of God. And that God is way more powerful in Saul's weakness than he is in Saul's strength. And are we okay letting go of the things that make us strong that Christ may be made much of in our weakness? Are we okay with that? Because this points us to Jesus. You see, Saul got to experience the gospel. He got to see that the Jesus who he thought was dead was indeed risen from the grave, that the grave could not hold him, and that he invites everyone who is willing to lay down their strength into the resurrection life with him. Jesus became Saul's strength 
in the midst of his weakness. Jesus became his strength. And so when you bump up against Jesus, hold loosely to everything else, but cling tight to Jesus. Cling tight to Jesus. Hold loosely to everything else that makes you strong and powerful and meaningful and hold tight to Jesus. As we have gone through this series of acts so far, what we have seen is the same themes emerge. God does the unexpected. He welcomes unexpected people. He opens the eyes of his followers to see things and do things that they have never seen and done or heard before, that God is the God who is, does unexpected things in the lives of those who trust in him. And so that's a good thing. As you read scripture, you should always ask yourself the question, what is God up to? We read scripture to say, what is God up to and how we can play along? We don't read scripture so that we can then apply it to whatever we want to apply it to. We don't read scripture so that we can justify whatever actions we want to take. We don't use passages like Acts 9 or Romans 13 to apply to anything that we decide that we want to apply it to and make it fit our worldview and what we think should happen in our politics. We read scripture to say, God, what are you up to and how can we join in? And when we read this scripture, what we see is that God is up to changing people's lives as they bump up against him, that he would challenge them to hold loosely to the things that they cling to so dearly. And when you see the same themes cropping up in scripture over and over again, it should cause you to go, yes, we see who God is. We see what he's up to. And we want desperately to be formed into that story, into that image. Saul would have never imagined that his life would turn out the way it did. That he would not only be a leader among the Jesus followers, but that he would willingly suffer for Jesus' sake. Ananias would have never thought his life would have turned out the way it did. He thought he would have this nice, quiet, pious life in Damascus, and instead, God challenges him to step out and do something he would have never expected. And in both men in this story, what we see is, this is not a work of human hands. This is not something that humans would have thought of on their own. This is a work of God, and of God's Holy Spirit, in the life of the church, in that same Holy Spirit that worked in the life of Saul and in the life of Ananias desires to transform your life and call you into mission with him in the world today. That is the work of the Spirit acting boldly in the world and my hope is boldly in our lives as well. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for who you are and for how you love us. We thank you that you have gone to great lengths to come to us even when we have been resistant, when we find ourselves pushing back and fighting back and going, God, why me? And you say, because you love us and you love us too much to leave us where we are. 
for each and every person in this room, would you challenge us to see you in unexpected and new ways this day and this week, that we may catch a glimpse of your glory, that we do not dictate to you how our lives should go, but we instead yield our lives to your Holy Spirit as he invites us and woos us, that we may learn what it looks like to say yes with every single bit of who we are. We love you and praise you. and Thank you for this time of worship. May we not be the same for our engagement with prayer and scripture and all the things that we do together as a body. We love you and praise you. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Amen.